members of Rouen Cathedral and the sacred relic it housed smelled before they saw the Americans. They smelled the cloying sweetness on their breath of the gum the Americans habitually chewed on their marches. This clue to them was all the roiling mist at first allowed. But then at last the French defenders saw them. They came on in their doughboy uniforms, with the short coats worn over their breeches, and their spats and shiny leather boots, and their stubby garand rifles carried at port arms. The mist did not seem to disorient or discomfort them in the slightest. They glided through it, and only when they were within whispering distance of the French troops guarding the cathedral did they raise their rifles and begin with deadly nonchalance to squeeze off rounds aimed squarely at their brothers-in-arms. The fog had deadened the sound as well as the sight of their approach, Destin said. It muffled the reports of their bullets exploding from the barrels of their weapons when the ambush began, and they started to shoot. It deadened the sound of rounds ricocheting off the cathedral's ancient masonry. It did not stop us firing back. The return fire from the top of the towers in particular was immediate and deliberate and murderous. The men at the portals quickly redeployed to reinforce their comrades. We established a withering field of fire. We were shooting at shadows, of course, but the very air was alive with the hum and screech of lethal projectiles. Nothing could have lived through such a sustained storm of assault. We fought the men of the fog with a blizzard of steel. But the mutinous Americans came on. Incredibly, they ambled forward, casual, alive. At their center was a man, taller than the rest of them and bareheaded, his white blond hair picked him out in the wreaths of gloom, with the haze of cordite thickening it even further in the firelight. He was a glimpse, a phantom. He was, said Destin, the pale, smiling rumour of a man. Destin took the cavalry pistol from the holster of his belt, aimed carefully, and fired around at the American. One was all he had time for. He pulled the stiff trigger once, and felt the crash of recoil jerk through his wrist and forearm. I had never been sure of a shot in my life, and I could shoot, and at that range the weapon was always accurate. But I must have missed, he said, I must have missed. Because the American just grinned through the fog and raised his rifle and shot me through the shoulder with an impact that put me breathless and bleeding on my back on the cathedral steps. I began to lose consciousness. Sound, already dampened by the fog, became sluggish and indistinct and dim. A scarlet curtain descended over my sight. And then I smelled the mingling pungent scents of cologne and Turkish tobacco as someone knelt beside me to whisper in my ear. And I knew it was the American renegade, invulnerable to our weapons, come to gloat. I understood English well enough. Of course I did. I had been listening to it spoken in France through three long years of war. "'Not your day, sport,' he said." He used the language of a man who had just beaten a fellow member of his own sporting club in a Sunday bicycle race. Not your day, old chum. You'll burn in hell, I told him, and I thought then he would take the pistol from his belt and finish me for the remark. But he merely laughed. It was a grim and callous sound, mirth echoing from an open crypt. It seemed barely human. It was a sound in utter contrast to the character of his words. Perhaps he was only impersonating a man. He was as unnatural, I think, as the fog that had announced and then delivered him. 
Last I heard the nailed soles of his boots slick on the spilled blood of my comrades in the cobbles. Of course, I knew what he had come there for, Destin said. And the men at the captain's hospital bedside, the grim deputation from the Vatican watching the infection kill him, lowered their eyes as he and some of them crossed themselves. And so I knew that he would indeed burn in hell. One day and forever, I knew that the smiling American would come to know damnation. Martin Chapter One It was wholly in character for my father to buy a thing cursed. He didn't give a damn for dubious reputations. He believed in nothing he hadn't seen for himself or could not prove. Price was never a consideration either, I don't think, in determining what he chose to acquire, except when set very high. Then his rapacious appetite for ownership could make a thing...